This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything we have been up to Wednesday, the 21st of December, which includes our countdown to Christmas from a business point of view. This morning, we were chatting to Centre Representative Jonathan Watts. He's the General Manager at Alpha Tame for Toys R Us. And he was talking to us about what the kids want to see under the tree and how much it's going to cost. Tom this morning was looking for a new job. Bait.com says that he's not alone. That's what happens in the new year, apparently. Nashvi Qureshi, uh, brand and marketing director from Bait.com, was in the studio talking us through their latest study about job movements. Uh, Richard was also talking mergers with the CEO of Aminat Holdings. All of that, plus an in-depth discussion about Japanese bond yields. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see Is the holly that will be on your own front door Toys in every store And that is the aspect of Christmas nomics That we are looking at this morning Every day this week, counting down to Christmas with the business breakfast version of an advent calendar. <laughs> I like that idea. We open the little door and there's a guest every morning. So we're doing toys today. We've got the guys from Toys R Us joining us in about 20 minutes' time to talk about, as you would expect, what the kids are wanting to buy this Christmas. But we're looking at all aspects. Just a quick reminder yesterday, fascinating interview. Looking at the cost of food over the festive period. What inflation, what Im- impact has inflation had on the price of a Christmas lunch this year? We spoke to a butcher, Daniel Wanis, is the co-founder of Carney Store. It's an online supplier of meat based here in Dubai, and he says the price of turkeys has been flying this Christmas. So this year we had a really bad bird flu in uh, North America that wiped out about 80% of the turkeys. That was earlier this year. So that's driven the price of turkeys alone up about 60%. And then other than that, of course, you have rising fuel costs. You know, you've, you've got the, the uh, kind of the socioeconomic things that are happening around the world. So we're seeing turkeys harder to get than at any year that we can ever remember. So that was the commander in beef we spoke to yesterday from Carney Store. Uh, today, we are looking uh, at Toynomics, if you like, what is happening to the cost of the presents that are going underneath the tree, the ability to get them out here. Supply chain issues, of course, not completely done. Uh, And we do this every year. We look at what the the must-have toy is, if there is one. Precisely. And we're looking at physical merch this time. We just spoke with Dino the lawyer at Clyde & Co, about the video game Fortnite. And, of course, people spend a lot of money on that. But they're virtual gifts. What about stuff that would hurt if you dropped on your toe? Or stood on it, in the case of Lego. (laughs) Precisely. Stuff that you buy in stores like Hamley's or Toys R Us, because we're always interested in that. And it is still a big deal and a big part of the economy. So really looking forward to that conversation. Did you notice, by the way, we spoke about kidults this morning, um, which a survey in the UK, or a study in the UK, looking at toy sales. They say that one quarter of toy sales in the US are brought by um, adults buying toys for themselves, kidults. A lot of Lego, a lot of action figurines, a lot of sort of nostalgic movie tie-ins. Uh, you were looking at Dino's backdrop. Were you suggesting he is indeed a kid-alt? Dino is a kid-alt. You're absolutely spot on. 
Because if you just tuned in, we spoke to Dino Wilkinson, lawyer at Clyde & Co, about the fortnight half a billion dollar fine, right? In his backdrop, he had Lego. He said it was the Seinfeld set and a Rubik's Cube. So he absolutely is. Yeah, and the toy makers know it. I mean, Lego's not making a Seinfeld set for a seven-year-old, is it? This is true. So, well, in 30 minutes, we'll be speaking to Jonathan Watts from uh, Toys R Us here in the UAE. Any questions, get them in. 4001, oh, we'll use the messenger app. Morning, Tom. Morning, all. Tom, you're going to be talking about the job market a little bit later on. We've got the guys from Bait.com in. More than half of professionals in the UAE and the wider region are likely to look for a new job next year to improve their career prospects. This is research from the guys from <laughs> Morning, Bait.com <Tom>. and, and <laughs> YouTube. Uh, not YouTube, uh, YouGov, excuse me. Uh, you, you, these surveys come out from time to time, but it'll be interesting to put they come some... come out this time of year, every year. On the bones, won't it? Yeah. Every single year this time of year. Uh, I think this year's a little bit different, isn't it? Uh, given the fact that we have, thankfully, a vibrant job market here in the region at the moment. Um, plenty of competition here in the UAE, plenty of competition um, across the region as a whole. So we will be getting the latest from Bait as they bring us, um, yeah, as you say, the latest details on that one. To that end, if you are redundant, uh, do get in touch with us. Uh, if you're looking for a job, is 2023 the year uh, that you will be? Um, I, the only thing I have with these surveys is surely if you're if you ask me, um, are you looking for a job next year, Tom? I'm not going to turn around with the bosses listening, going, I'm looking for a job at the moment. Yes. But at the same time, if, if Sky News turned around and said, look, like what you're doing, um, here's half a million uh, to come and do it for us, then of course you've got to think about it, aren't you? So I, I, I don't, we'll, we'll sort of get to the bones of whether 2023 is going to be a good year. Is 2023 a good time to look for a job? Is it better than 2022? One of the questions we'll put to bait a little later on this morning. As you said, we've got Nashfi Qureshi joining us here in studio. I, I'm with you. If Eric Ten Hag... The Manchester United manager calls me later this afternoon and said, Richard, we're looking for a centre-forward. Or even free. It's like, yes. Or even a kit man. Yes. <laughs> you know, water boy, kit man. Um, you know, yeah, I, I'd be the sort of system management, any part of the backroom staff. Bring it on. Right, there you go. Eric, if you're listening, because a lot of them are in Dubai, so it's not inconceivable. They're still here. Tom and I are... I, think, I guess they've got to go back and do the day job now, haven't Playing they? Playing tonight. Yeah. The, the French and the Argentinians are still be here. You know, the Argentinians have gone back to Argentina. They've all gone back to Buenos Aires, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, they've gone. Fine. We missed our boat. Never mind. If it was going to happen, it would have happened last week. <laughs> you were down at the Four Seasons with all of them, Tom. What were you doing? No, that was Liverpool. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, but yeah, they were. Um, no, you, I, I think you get, don't you? You get a little bit of leeway. I think if you've played in the World Cup, you get a couple of weeks off. Yeah. Um, but that was always the case during. The the, the the summer World Cups. I don't know if it's the case now, given the sense that you're a, quite an important period coming into crucial games, Boxing Day and then New Year's Eve. Anyway, we digress. Sorry, Brandy. It's fine. I'm going to get Richard to explain the um, Japanese rule. change in policy yesterday as penance. Right. Why is the Japanese yen rising on international markets? It is because yesterday we had interest rate decisions from Japan and China. They kept interest rates on hold. Take a bow, central banks in Beijing and Tokyo, unlike the Westerners who keep raising them, uh, going into a recession for whatever reason. We asked Katija Hack, uh, how have the markets reacted to China and Japan keeping rates on hold? 
The Bank of Japan surprised markets yesterday by adjusting its yield curve control policy and allowing 10-year bond yields in Japan to rise to a, a maximum of 0.5%. Now, the Bank of Japan had really been the last man standing in terms of ultra-loose monetary policy um, relative to other central banks, which have been tightening quite aggressively this year. But markets took this change as being an indicator that the Bank of Japan may finally be willing to move away from this ultra-loose monetary policy and also start to tighten. Um, and as a result, we saw a sell-off in global equity markets, uh, by and large, and also an increase in other government bond yields, um, because it really just is a signal that liquidity conditions potentially could tighten further next year. Katija Hackhammer, it's MBD. That's yeah. my kind of policy. <laughs> Ultra loose. Love that. We've also been having a look at what's happening with oil prices at, with Katija. Very quickly, oil just over $80 a barrel this morning. We've uh, asked her if that price level is sustainable. Oil prices have recovered a little bit over the last couple of days on news that the IEA has increased its demand estimates for 2023. And also we saw a decline in US stockpiles uh, last week. Um, we also have a relatively low level of liquidity in markets as we head into the end of the year. And a lot of people are already on holiday. Um, and then yesterday's weakness in the dollar also would have uh, supported commodity prices including oil. Our forecast is that oil prices will rebound in 2023. We're expecting an average price for Brent of $105 a barrel. Um, we think the global recession fears that have been priced into uh, the oil market are probably a little bit overblown at this point and the risks remain to the upside next year. Khadija Hackhammer at SMBD. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Right, let's talk the economics of healthcare and to an extent education now. Delighted to be joined in the studio by the CEO of Amanat Holdings, Dr. Mohammed Hamade. Mohammed, good to see you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. We spoke many times during the pandemic over Teams, so it's nice to say Ahlan Wasafan in the studio to you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. You're specifically here today because yesterday you announced a deal in your healthcare division. And you're going to have to explain this one to me because it's a bit of jargon. You are creating what's described as the largest pan-GCC post-acute care platform. In simple terms, what does that mean? Indeed. So as as you know, we have interviewed before when Amanat had acquired Cambridge Medical and, and Rehab Center, which is a network of hospitals in the UAE and the eastern province. Uh, that focuses on post-acute care, which means the patients that otherwise would be stuck in a general hospital and blocking ICU and acute care beds. Those beds are really necessary for surgeries and others. So what we do is we take these patients out of the general hospital, we put them in a dedicated space called post-acute care, where they receive a more relevant treatment, and, and, and that allows, allows them to get better healthcare outcomes, basically, and a lower cost on, on the economy in general. So in now, simple terms, I'm seeing this as if you have a bad car crash and you're in hospital for a week and they stitch you back up. It's a halfway house between hospital and home. Is that being too simplistic? But this is accurate. So one of the cases could be post-trauma, post-car accidents, where after receiving acute treatment, the patient would require to stay for extended periods for rehabilitation. This is what, what we could offer. But also, there are 
patients that are suffering from stroke and, and other chronic diseases that would really keep them bedridden for a long periods of time. And this is where they move to a Cambridge-like facility or to a Sukun-like facility. So this transaction that we have just announced, and it's yet to be completed uh, fully uh, after receiving all regulatory approvals, is a merger between Sukun, which is a portfolio company of Amanat, for which we had owned 33% of, and Cambridge, for which we own 100% of. Post the merger, Amanat will own 85% of the group. This is in line with Amanat's strategy to, uh, first of all, expand and scale its operations through its portfolio companies and realize synergies between, uh, between its assets. All of that is to the best interest of uh, the shareholders. And, and Sukun is, is Saudi Arabia-based? It's Jeddah-based. Jeddah-based. Uh, Cambridge is based here in the UAE, but with a few regional operations. Absolutely. So collectively, uh, we, we would be creating the largest pan-GCC uh, network with up to 700 beds, 400 of which are currently operational with patients in those beds. 300 is underway in terms of expansion, and the aim is to reach 1,000 beds within the next three years. Let's talk more broadly about how Amanat is performing. We, you're a listed company now, so we get your quarterly numbers. And I remember reporting it at the time, Amanat's quarterly numbers, profit growth 6%. In the nine month, first nine months of, of 2022, which is a perfectly good set of numbers for an education and healthcare provider. But honestly, Mohammed, a lot of the companies we're reporting on were reporting 20, 30, 40% growth in that period. I, explain the story of what was solid but not spectacular growth in those nine months. Uh, growth is all, all depends on previous performance. So 2021, Amanat had recorded a 28 times growth year on year. This is quite a significant growth. After which we continue to report growth on adjusted basis year on year. And in the nine month period of 2022, indeed, we have reported a 6% uh, growth. Uh, with, with that, I think Amanat would be focusing on growing leading portfolio companies. We own the largest university group in Dubai, which is Middlesex University. For the second year in a row, Middlesex in Dubai is the largest international university in Dubai. We own the leading university group in Abu Dhabi through Nima Holding that owns Abu Dhabi University, Khawarizmi University, and Liwa University. And with Cambridge, we own uh, the largest uh, post-acute care network. Recently, as you know, last year we exited Ta'lim, which is a, a group of schools that, that just got listed recently, and we had reinvested that capital in acquiring a human development company a, a month ago. And this would be the largest special education uh, needs platform in Saudi Arabia that includes schools and medical centers for children and adolescents suffering from autism and other developmental delays, a sector is which needed in the Gulf region. Well, this is interesting because it was a significant deal, 220 million Saudi rials or, or dirhams, as you say, focusing on that, that crossover between education and healthcare for children with special educational needs. Morally and eth ethically, a lot of people will be thinking, we understand what you're doing. Should this really be a sector that is for profit? How do you answer those questions? The Amanat, what makes it really unique is that we are focusing on underserved sectors and we are trying to bring the best quality of services in those niche sectors. One of them is special education. Another is post-acute care and so on. 
the 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 debate about for profit and not for profit is is not the key one here. I think bringing in the best value services and ensuring sustainability of that service is extremely important. Think of special needs, Richard. In this region, there are some few centers that are delivering quality uh, services. However, it's it hasn't scaled. It hasn't really reached every house and every family that has a child that is suffering from developmental delays, let alone be able to bring them a comprehensive service ranging from uh, relevant academic support and relevant rehab and clinical support in order to enable these kids to become adolescents and later on find a job and enter the workforce. Our aim in Amanat is to be able to bridge this by, by catering to, to students with special needs and eventually provide them with vocational training and make sure to lead on an agenda in partnership with the governments in the region to have a, a, a kind of a, a social um, target or objective to incorporate children with developmental delays or autism or the likes into the workforce in most of the large employers in the region. Who pays the bills with the business breakfast, got to ask? Is it the government or the parents or a bit of both? I think there's a role for the government to play here, where in Saudi Arabia, it has subsidized the, the service, just like it does in post-acute care, just like it does in, in, other, uh, in, in other areas. In the UAE, not yet. This is definitely something we would be looking to, to uh, discuss with the local governments, because I think this is to the best of the society. And, and the children that are suffering from this. Any additional services could be covered out of pocket. What we are focusing on is good value for money, meaning we're not about bringing large, uh, uh, big brands and just pay for, for that brand in, locally. We are about bringing a very efficient service that would cater to these uh, kids without having to pay a high bill. We are very cautious about managing the healthcare and the education bill in this region. And we believe that Amanat is, is a partner to the public sector from that perspective. Mohammed, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for getting up early to join us in the studio. Good to see you in person rather than on Microsoft Teams. It's the voice of the CEO of Amanat Holdings, Dr. Mohammed Hamadi. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Right, let's talk jobs. Let's talk the jobs market. Let's talk hiring and firing. Uh, let's talk job searches uh, and um, selection as well. And we're going to talk to the team from Bait.com. Uh, we've been joined in the studio by Brand and Marketing Director at Bait.com, uh, Nashvi Qureshi. Nashvi, thanks so much indeed for taking time to speak to us. Good to be here. Thank you so much. Nashvi, can you help me, please? Because um, I've just been speaking to the news team outside, uh, our IRN news team. And they said, right, Tom, when you speak to Nashvi, can you get a really good news bite that we can use throughout the rest of the day for us? So in terms of the latest survey, what's the main finding? What's the top headline that is coming out of those, that latest survey? So uh, we at Bait.com have been in the market for around 20 years, um, and we closely associate with the, the YouGov uh, research agency and went uh, to do a research for, uh, interviewed around 3,000 people across 15 countries. And within the region, what we've come to know is that the number one uh, uh, point for people who are searching for jobs is 2023 is going to be a year of change. So People are looking for new jobs. People are looking for um, higher salaries. People are looking for that work-life balance that everyone is talking about. So 
that those are the top things that uh, that came out of that report. Why is 2023 any different from 2022 or any other year for that matter? That's a very good question. Uh, the thing is that people are coming, professionals have been in that zone of COVID and post-COVID era in which, you know, there were there was a mix of working from home, working from uh, office, etc. So what has come up now is 2023 is going to be a year, a normal year as compared to the previous three years. So uh, it's quite a deciding period for companies to actually, um, you know, confirm if they are going to work from office full time or if they're going to work from home. There is a sort of resistance when it comes to professionals who have been used to a certain way of working. Um, But now 2023 will be a, a deciding factor, basically. Are we talking about a change to a different company within the same industry? Are we talking about wholesale changes in terms of looking to a completely different industry? What came out from the report was really surprising that people who are in a particular industry are not afraid to change their industry as well. So for 2023, uh, what has happened is that uh, people had time to actually learn new skills and, you know, go ahead and do online courses, etc., which act- which has actually given them the confidence to go and uh, explore new opportunities in new industries altogether. So uh, they're, not, they're not shying away from uh, a new industry. Which is a little strange for me, and I don't know if it is for you and the rest of your team as well, given the fact that, you know, we talk every morning about global headwinds at the moment people a lot of people suggesting that 23 could see more recession we're seeing inflationary pressures out there at the moment ordinarily those sort of economic pressures would convince people to try and hold on to jobs and just batten down the hatches at the moment but that doesn't seem to be the case that's not the case actually specifically for this market because what's happening is that uh, you might see you know big tech companies firing a lot of people in the west uh, but we what we've seen here especially from the local market that a lot of companies are on the hiring spree so in our previous report uh, which we done which we did in october uh, it said that you know 70% of the companies are going to hire new talent in 2023. So there is a positive outlook towards the market, um, unlike the West, basically. So uh, even from all the research that we've done, and that is the outlook that is across across the board. So Talk to me about the decision-making process. Is this money-driven, as in salary-driven, or is this career inspirationally driven? It is more career and inspiration-driven. So um, people are more, um, you know, attuned to um, a certain set of uh, values when it comes to work ethics and and, and work uh, environment, etc. So uh, it is more attuned to uh, career-driven than, uh, than revenue-driven. The other thing that we've heard a lot about during 22 might be one of the buzzwords, if you like, of the job market is upskilling as well. Is that a trend that could continue? It is, yes, uh, especially because of the availability of learning resources, online learning resources, which are so easily available, like you could go ahead and, you know, upskill in terms of Google Analytics through the Google Research or Google uh, Learning Podcasts. So, uh, you know, learning opportunities are, uh, uh, you know, many across uh, the online portal. So you can you can just um, go and learn new things and, and upskill and uh, look at new jobs as well. What are the other trends that we could potentially look forward to in 2023 when it comes to the job market? 
Some of the trends which have come through the research are basically people are, um, you know, looking for work-life balance and, um, you know, flexibility in terms of working from wherever they want. Like uh, professionals, especially the millennials and Gen Z, they are not used to the nine to five work environment. And uh, what they're looking for is basically the employers to be flexible and, uh, you know, give them the freedom to work from home, work from a beach, to 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 say the least. And, um, you know, that's the trend that we are looking for 2023. And employers are also recognizing this this fact that, you know, um, more and more professionals want the freedom to to choose for themselves what they uh, where, where and what they want to work on. So I think that will be the trend for 2023 uh, in which uh, employers will adjust themselves to the needs of the employees. Flexibility has obviously been a key word for the job market in 2022. What you're suggesting there is the data suggesting that continues to 23 as well. Yet we've also seen the sort of balance of power change as well, post-COVID into this era post-COVID as well, where or before it was more the employee who hold, held all the cards. Then, of course, it shifted over to the employer as well. Where's that balance sit at the moment moving into 2023? I think uh, it's it's the status quo is still maintained. I wouldn't say that all the all the cards are with one or the yeah. other side. Um, it's just that the work uh, environment and the work dynamics have changed so much. Like, for example, a company can be based in Dubai and can have uh, remote workers working in, in Jordan, mm. in Egypt. And because technology has enabled that uh, sort of a work environment in which you can have remote workers, and also that helps keep the cost down mm. for, the empl- uh, for the employers. And employees have a, a better opportunity, like you could work for a company in Dubai sitting in, sitting in Jordan or Egypt. So um, uh, the balance is still maintained. Uh, the dynamics of the work uh, technology has changed, basically. Certainly suggests this data that the market is buoyant and will continue to be buoyant into 2023. Your survey is being conducted across the whole of the MENA region as well. Is it specific, that buoyancy specific to certain areas of the MENA region or across the board? More specific towards UAE, KSA and uh, bigger markets like Egypt. Um, There are smaller markets as well that we've reviewed, um, probably Lebanon and Jordan, etc. But those, uh, the sample sizes are quite small in terms of uh, the respondents. So from this report, we cannot say uh, or comment about the buoyancy of those markets at the moment. Just finally then, for those listening this morning who might be looking for a New Year's resolution when it comes to a career decision, uh, what is your final thought, your sort of summarization conclusion on the uh, report that you've seen, the report you've conducted? So uh, from the report, it is clear that um, a lot of people are looking for uh, work-life balance. That will be the number one point. They want to spend more time with family, take more vacations, which they weren't able to take uh, in the past two or three years. Um, And, uh, you know, more uh, flexibility in terms of uh, in terms of work environment. Those are the top key. Nashvi, thank you so much indeed for your time. Thank you Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks also for the report. Nashvi Qureshi, Brand and Marketing Director at Bait.com. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Oh, we're talking about the economics of Christmas. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. My two front teeth. My two front teeth. Oh, except they don't. It is the time of year when we look at the toys that kids want to see under the tree and what it's going to take for Santa to get them there. Jonathan Watts is the elf. 
on the shelf, on the seat this morning, General Manager at Alpha Tame Toys R Us. Jonathan, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, good morning, Brandy. Thanks for having me. So, tradition this time of year, we look at the uh, the top sellers, the must-haves for Christmas. What's been flying off your shelves this season? Well, I think, Brandy, it's a... Uh uh, we've seen a shift this year compared to last year, and uh, the big move we've seen a big in, uh, uptake in plush, um, which uh, from the back of COVID, where outdoor was pre- uh, our biggest category last year, mainly on trampolines and bikes and uh, outdoor swing sets when everyone was still stuck at home. Um, we've seen a big uptake in our collectibles and uh, the influencer back toys are absolutely flying off the shelves. Okay, let's start there because we're all old enough to remember when it was the movie tie-ins that uh, used to drive sales. The Buzz Lightyear year, of course, legendary in the, the toy industry. How much influence do the, do the, the kid influencer actually have? Well, Brandy, they're huge. And um, if you have a look at, let's take uh, Nick, uh, Nick and Vladdy, for example. They've got 90 million subscribers on YouTube. And, it, you know, it's these guys and the kids are watching these videos day in and day out. The big toy companies are now getting behind these influencers and creating toys that these guys are unboxing and the kids are absolutely loving it. So what's that driving? What is being unboxed so it's it's mainly around a surprise element so inside each of these boxes are different surprise toys and collectibles and uh, the kids want to collect them all and they continue going back and back and getting more and more of these surprise toys sticking with the the television theme more streaming platforms than than ever before arguably we've spent uh, more time over the last couple of years consuming content than than normal what kind of effect is that having on what's selling? Yeah, I think I think if you look at the uh, the mainstream brands such as Barbie, Paw Patrol, uh, they've shifted back onto Netflix and uh, launched new seasons through Netflix. And we've seen an uptake in the likes of Barbie and Paw, Paw Patrol as soon as these um, launches happen on Netflix. And uh, we're seeing that in the sales as well uh, in both these brands. But less outdoor equipment, you were saying, less trampolines. Is that because we bought everything we needed in COVID? Yeah, and uh, absolutely. I mean, you, you had a look at last year's trends and uh, electric scooters, uh, push scooters, um, swimming pools, um, trampolines. These were, um, it was a record year last year um, with all the kids and families being in their houses. And we've seen that shift this year. Um, and that category is currently trading down uh, versus last year, and um, people are moving into other um, categories within the toy industry. We were discussing a report this morning coming out of the US about uh, the boost that kidults are giving to toy sales, adults buying toys for themselves. They reckon in the States it's about a quarter of all sales. What are we seeing here? Yeah, I think, you know, we're seeing, we're up about 15% in that category and uh, we're seeing a similar trend and it's the likes of Funko, so the Funko Pop, uh, Lego um, and uh, the action figures from your Marvel, uh, Hasbro and uh, we're seeing actually adults come in and particular dads um, coming in and collecting them along with Hot Wheels as well. I mean, there's an avid 
collector of Hot Wheels uh, the minute those drop into stores as well. What's your theory as to why that's on the rise? I think it's uh, they following their kids and uh, wanting to collect these and keep them as souvenirs and, um, uh, you know, build their collection as adults as they grow up with their kids. Or not grow up, as the case may be. Or not grow up, yeah. So what's happening to the price of, of all of this? We've been discussing inflation for most of, of this year. What does it mean for the toy sector? Well, look, if we let's take a step back to last year and, um, you know, the average price of a container, 40-foot container, was around $6,000. This has now come down at an average to around four, four and a half thousand dollars $4,500. But even in Q4, we're seeing that price drop um, in, you know, in the last three to four months. Um, we've managed to hold on to our prices uh, within Toys R Us because that is our positioning within the market. We're not you know, positioned to, to, to pass on a lot of these costs to our consumers. Um, and then on top of that, there's, there's another angle that uh, if you look at our e-com website, um, we've opened up that to a marketplace, which allows even our um, sellers to get direct access to our suppliers uh, through through our website on that. So so there's different channels and movements within the toy industry that is uh, pretty exciting and helping to keep costs down, uh, both within our stores and online. If you're not passing those costs on to the customers, though, that must be having a bit of an impact on your margins. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think margins are under pressure. I think uh, we took a strategic move um, last year to gain market share as some of our competitors ex- exited the market. And um, I think that's paid dividends um, in our strategy for this year. What about the ability to actually get these toys? What impact, for example, have the COVID China restrictions had on toy production? Yeah, we've seen uh, through some of the biggest suppliers, there have been uh, closures of factories within China. Um, however, we, we have managed to maintain supply. And I can say that um, most of our best selling and key toys for this Christmas season are available and um, stocks are looking healthy. Is the supply chain still an issue? Are you having to think more about how you get things time-wise from A to B? I think we've started to iron that out over the last three to four months. Um, you know, if you asked me that question six months ago, I would have said yes. Um, but we're starting to see regular supply starting to drop in um, into our stores and online. And are you changing any of your sourcing as much as you can? Obviously, we've got a stronger US dollar at the moment. That's got to help you in some markets. Yeah, I think China is the hub and the core of all toy development. And uh, the fact most of the factories are based out of there. Um, and th- that still is our number one source of toys for the region. Um, our dollar uh, linked to the AED is a support and uh, helps us uh, move forward in a stable manner. And you mentioned your online sales there at the moment. What percentage of your sales are happening online at the the moment? And what does that mean for your actual physical stores? Look, we've seen uh, back from COVID, uh, we're seeing around a seven to eight percent online contribution um, in the in the toy category. But what we have noticed is people are rushing back to stores um, from last year, and uh, this is the, uh, this is seen in the retail sales coming through in our physical stores. 
Jonathan Watts uh, is General Manager at Alpha Tame for Toys R Us. Joining us this morning for this morning's episode of Christmas Nomics, having a look uh, at what toys need to be under the tree this Christmas and how much it's going to cost to get them there. Thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.